You know, for the past weeks, we have talked about developing a heart of generosity, and then we went on to talk about how we really honor God with what he has entrusted to us, our finances. And we have looked at that in a principal way, which is called stewardship. It's simple, that God owns and that we manage. And we are challenged not just to manage the money, but to do it in a way that honors God, and to do it in a way that when we're generous, kingdom causes are enhanced by our generosity. And we are also told that when we're to budget, that we're to put God at the very top of our budget list. Today, what I want to do is just kind of see the overwhelming blessings that are associated when we honor God, when we truly become people that are first fruit givers, and we recognize that God is the one that has entrusted us so that he owns and we manage. And I want to see how we can be blessed when we're generous. In the book of Acts, Jesus had said these words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, blessed, that word has taken on all sorts of different definitions over the decades. And one that it has taken right now, which has become most common recently, is that blessings equate materials or materialism. Beautiful house, nice car, amazing vacation, hashtag blessed. The problem is, though, the scriptures rarely equate material blessings as being blessed by God. You see, earthly value has no gain with heavenly worths. However, when scripture talks about blessing, it talks about spiritual blessings. It talks a way in which God enhances things in your life because you are generous. There is the principle of reaping and sowing. God wants to be generous to you, towards you. One of those generosity blessings is it makes me feel good. I think it's a pretty good blessing. It makes me happy to know that I'm inherently doing right when I give to others. You know, there was a recent study that was done um, and an article that came out publishing the study findings called, Want to be Happy? Stop Being So Cheap. The article was pointed out by the Notre Dame University that uh, they took a couple thousand people and they monitored their life for five years and they discovered that those that consistently gave more than 10% of their income annually, that they were happier people than those that didn't. As a matter of fact, they found those people to be less depressed in life than the people that didn't give consistently. And they found also that physically, just in physical attributes, they were healthier than those that didn't give. And the conclusion of the study was quite simple. They said, if generosity is practiced consistently, it offers rewards to the giver, but it must be done consistently. Isn't it funny? That science backs up what God has inherently put in us is that when we give and we're generous and open-handed, it makes us happy and it makes us feel good because we know we're doing it correctly the way that God wants us to handle his money. You know, God's word tells us this, that a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And it is refreshing when you give and when you're open-handed to other people and know that your giving has helped someone. You see, immaturity craves and wants. Maturity wants and craves to give. And you know, I find it interesting that the older I get, the more I want to give around Christmas time, and I want to see the joy of my giving be received. And I think that's why when you see grandparents give gifts to grandchildren, that they're just excited to give a good gift because they love to see the joy in their grandchildren as they receive that gift. And I think as you mature, it's times around this time of the season, when you recognize the maturity of where you're at. Are you giving so that you can gain? Or are you giving because you love to see the joy that it puts in people's lives and the joy that you experience with it? 
The second blessing is generosity increases my influence. You know the road to influence is paved with generosity? Jesus had taught that we would be wise to use our worldly resources to gain friends so that they could be ushered into the kingdom of God. Listen how he says it in the book of Luke. Here's the lesson, Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Some of you don't know how to make friends. Your personality isn't how to do it. Why not buy some, (laughs) Jesus says. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What's Jesus actually saying? He's saying when you give, you are positioning yourself with a great privilege to speak into someone's life because people are more apt to listen to you when you've given something to them. Okay, you've heard the old adage, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. For many, it takes a a tangible expression of your care, of your love to be seen. And that tangible expression comes out in time. It comes out in treasure. It comes out through your talents. And when they see how much you care, they're going to be more willing to listen to what you have to say. You know, as a leader, especially in this community, I desire to see my impact be increased ever so wide and keep widening. And the leadership of this church desires to do the very same thing. And so we're always looking for ways to enlarge our circle of influence. In the book of Isaiah, he is a prophet of God. He told the Israelites to get ready for God's blessing because he's going to pour out people into their camp and that nation would be expanded. And so they should prepare for that. God said it like this, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense for you will soon be bursting at the seams. You know, we've used that scripture time and time again as we've relocated, as we've built, as we've added on and continued to grow. We've used that scripture. We better add on. We better spread out our home and spare no expense. Why? Because the house of worship, this house of worship, seems to be consistently busting at the seams. You know, a couple years ago, we recognized that, that if we didn't do something and change, that we wouldn't be able to welcome in more. So we decided to go from two services to three. And then we decided last year that we were busting at the seams, so we had to expand this sanctuary space, and we added another 200 seats. Did you know that right now, in a metric form, we're about 100 to 120 people in this auditorium away from having to consider architectural plans from a standalone auditorium that would be able to gather thousands together so that we can finally meet under two services again? We're just about 100 to 120 people away from that happening. And I feel that's an unneeded burden. And if we can kind of stop that from happening and not happen so soon, that spares us from spending millions of dollars that we honestly just don't have and to put into something that will even clog our ministries to make us really handicapped in how we do ministry right now. And we know that anything between the nine o'clock hour and the 11 o'clock hour as far as service times go, that's what they call the sweet spot. I mean, you're here because that worked perfectly within your Sunday morning activities. However, we have an 815 service that hasn't grown or that hasn't decreased in some time. It's always ran about 135, 140 people. And that's because most who are visiting the church come at nine o'clock, but especially at the 11 o'clock hour. And we know that the 11 o'clock hour has those that come into that group that are unchurched people because that's where many of those who are being baptized into Christ come from that 11 o'clock hour. And so we have decided that we will rather err on the earlier service, err on a later service when we know that the doors will be open for those that are more likely unchurched. And you're saying, well, have you considered a Saturday night service? Yeah, we have. And that's the quickest way to kill a staff. 
And if you want a killed staff, let's just have a Saturday night service. So in my wisdom, we're not having a Saturday night service. We're going to have three on Sunday morning. And we're going to change the service times so that it will try to be as convenient as possible for most. But that doesn't mean everyone. And I understand that there is an inconvenience to maybe a service time change. Friends, it puts me at an inconvenience as well. You think I want to be away from my family till 1.30 in the afternoon? I miss out on some awesome times of lunch that I spend with some friends that I've been doing that for many years now. And that's one of the things I'm going to have to sacrifice and to give up so that we can welcome more in. So one of the goals is to make ourselves available so that we can have more room, more seats, more people, more growth. And we think by doing that, we can change our service times to 9, 10, 30, and noon. And we will be doing that. And the time frame that we played upon that is that we change those service times to the Sunday after Christmas Eve. That seems to work the very best for our calendar of ministry. And we've also recognized that our influence has grown tremendously since the last time we've thought about our service times. Our influence has grown exponentially. People from Vincennes and Jasper and Ligoti and Brown County, while they've always been coming to this congregation, more and more have been coming from that area. But now we're pulling from Newburgh and Princeton and Lawrenceville. And if you aren't aware, they're an hour behind us. So noon is now 11 for them. We haven't made our way to Kentucky yet, but they're light years behind us, so it doesn't matter. And we've decided to keep the two services in a sweet spot, 9 and 1030. And then we've also decided, recognizing that the majority of our growth comes later in the day, to move it to noon. And you're saying, well, what about all the plans I've made on Sunday morning? Well, like me, we're going to have to come up with some different plans. Might have to come an hour ahead of time, a half hour earlier, or come a little bit later. And we have to remember this. We're a spiritual hospital. And this place is filled with people who know how to heal but it's also filled with a whole lot of people that are hurt and need healing. And one of the things that we need to recognize about a church that's growing is that it is always changing. And we need to really be celebrating these kinds of moments because many of you come from a church where all you were trying to do was to keep it from dying. And you didn't have discussions like this. We need to celebrate that we're accommodating for more growth. And we need to celebrate our God that he's blessing us overwhelmingly with influence. I don't know how to tie that back into generosity except to say your generosity has allowed for greater influence. How about that? Point done. Third blessing in generosity is this. You're guarded from greed. Generosity guards my life from greed. You know, the empty a person's heart gets, that more that person will try to find contentment in things that can only be bought, sold, and consumed. Greed is a solid indicator that your life is not content in God alone. And Jesus told us to watch closely so that we don't fall into this trap of believing that our valuables are the things that give us value. And Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you owe. You know what giving does? Giving breaks the grip of greed. It keeps your life in perspective and it keeps your possessions in their place. You know, there's an old story about how the tribesmen in the Amazon rainforest once captured monkeys. The story goes that they would use a, 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 a jar with a narrow opening attached to a rope, and then they would put something inside of that jar that the monkey would want, like a banana or an orange or $1,000 or an iPhone X. And they would 
put their hand in there and they would grab onto the banana, but they would not want to let it go because they would be so greedy to keep it. And they would be stuck there till the poacher came. Now you'd think someone would come to the monkey and they'd just say, hey monkey, listen, that banana is not healthy for you. I mean, I know you think it is, but it actually it's not. If you keep on gripping it that way and holding tight to it and not willing to let go of it and being so greedy, you're not going to benefit from it. Actually, it's going to be the death of you. But the monkey can't let go. Okay, apparently, that's just folklore. No monkey has ever been caught that way because monkeys aren't that stupid. Monkeys aren't that greedy. But do you know which species is? And you know what giving does? It helps us to focus on the eternal rather than the temporal. It helps you to keep a focus of living less selfishly and thinking that you have to have everything with a clenched fist. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus warned a group of Christians and he said, you say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Jesus rebuked those Christians because they were greedy rather than godly, and you, you can't be both. And then he encouraged them to invest into the eternal rather than the temporal. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us that money will oftentimes be in competition with our commitment to God when he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And Jesus knows our heart because he knows that oftentimes we connect our net worth with our self-worth, our valuables with our value. And Jesus says, that's not the way this works. God desires to bring the contentment to your life. He's the one that brings your life value and your life worth. And when you give, you're reminding yourself of that, that our true riches, my true riches are not found in this world. My true riches are found in Jesus Christ. Hey, a benefit that oftentimes is overlooked is the benefit that God multiplies my money when I'm generous. Now, you know that this congregation doesn't speak of health and wealth as a primary gospel principle, but I want you to be aware that when generosity happens, God has a way of multiplying your money. Clinton, Shanda, Mackey have been longtime partners of Bethany Christian Church. They've been here for years. And when it came time to make a pledge commitment during our Immeasurably More campaign back in 2014, they felt that God was calling them to stretch them both in faith and in their funds. And so they agreed with God on what they should give, and then they gave over a three-year period generously above and beyond their normal giving so that this building could be added on to and so that many of you could be welcomed in and make seats for you so that you can come and be ministered to. And as the years progressed, you know what they found? They found themselves steadily giving to the Lord, but they found themselves in some financial straits as well. Uh, they just had a daughter, Taryn, their first daughter born during that time of giving. They had a second daughter born during that time of giving, Aniston. Uh, Clint changed jobs and then was in a position where he was out of a job, then back into a job. And I'm sure for Clint and Shanda, they had moments where they could have just thought, you know what, I'm going to hold back my giving right now. I'm going to just kind of keep it for myself because... I know we've pledged, but I just don't see a way. But I remember just this year, the beginning of the year, when Clint ran up to me and he said, Shannon and I just reached our pledge commitment. We're so excited. And I guess he just had to tell somebody. And so he told me. And then he went on to say, you know, we went through some financial strain, but in those three years, God had provided. You don't want to know why God provided? Because God multiplies the money. And I think it's just as simple as this. 
God honored them because they honored him. And I know a similar story can be told by many of you that participated in those generosity campaigns that we have, that we've had. And you've seen God multiply your money. You know, I'm not sure how it's happened. Maybe an unforeseen bonus, or maybe you got the opportunity to work more hours than normal, or an, unexpe- an unexpected gift showed up, or it could have been that maybe just there were less emergency expenses in the year than there's been in the years past. Though I don't know how God does it. I don't know how he multiplies money. He clearly tells us it will happen and that it should be expected. The book of Luke, Jesus says, give and you will receive. What does he say? Give and what will happen? You will receive. You will receive. These are promises of our Savior. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You know, this is one of those blessings that can only really be had when you are willing to test God with your finances. God will be able to stretch your dollars. And what you're doing is you're relying on him to take care of all your needs. And what Jesus says is when you do that, you should expect a harvest. You should expect a harvest. Why? Because it's one of God's laws of the universe. You reap what you sow. No act goes unnoticed. God sees it all. And when you plant in finances to the kingdom of God, it will come back to you in a harvest. And Jesus says what? Give and you will receive. You should expect the harvest. You know, another benefit that's not often talked about is that when we're generous, we usher in God's protection. We're not paying him to be a -a rent-a-cop and to watch over our life, but we do have some areas that when we're generous, God says, I will gladly watch over you and watch over these areas of your life. Now, that's not to say that God's going to keep you from the consequences of sin. He's not going to keep you from the consequences of sin. I mean, if you touch a hot stove, you're going to get burned, and your sin's going to have some fallout. You have to be reminded of that. But your generosity, God says specifically, will allow you to overcome some evil. Psalm chapter 41, King David tells us, oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. Other uh, translations say the generosity given to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. You know, doesn't it make some kind of sense that, at least logically, that God would protect his children that are leading well, serving well, and are generous with his resources? I mean, why wouldn't he protect those that are that way? I don't want you to start equating that with that God will keep you from all hardships, that God will keep you from all forms of hurt in your life. That's not what that is saying. God will not protect you from all hardships. He will not protect you from all hurts. We live in a fallen world, and there are consequences to living in this fallen world. But one thing God will provide, that as you go through hurts and as you go through hardships, he will walk through the valley with you and lead you to a better place a place with streams of living water, like the 23rd Psalm says. And if we persevere through that valley, he's going to develop within us greater character and greater faith and greater hope. And that's one of the great protections of our Lord. You know, the protections continue on. While they may not be monetary monetary, uh, protections, they are definitely spiritual, but I just don't think I would limit it to spiritual protection. Psalm 112 says, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their businesses fairly. 
such people will not be overcome by evil. See, there's an aspect of it where I think that spiritually we're protected. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. But I don't think the spiritual protection is all there is when it comes to that. Because what the psalmist is actually talking about is our integrity and how we handle God's resources with other people. And if we handle those resources correctly and have that integrity, we are shoring up in ourselves a resistance to corruption. We're storing up in ourselves a, uh, a resistance to the temptation to be unfair to people in dirty dealings. What's God saying he'll protect? Well, I think God's saying he's going to protect your character. God's going to protect your integrity. And you know where trust is stemmed from? Trust is stemmed from integrity and trust is stemmed from character. And you know how difficult it is to build trust, especially if you've done a dirty dealing to somebody else? And God says, I'm going to protect your character. I'm going to protect who you are. Last week, I taught about honoring God and your wealth. And when we did, we looked at the book of Malachi, the Old Testament. And God told those Israelites, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines of your fields will not drop their fruits before it's ripe. If they would just honor God with their finances, God said, I'll protect your fruits. I'll protect your crops. I'll protect your possessions. I'll protect your investments. Do you see that? When you honor God and be generous with what he's given to you, he promises to protect you. What a great blessing that is. How about one of the blessings that comes with generosity is it gives me an opportunity to measure my faith. You know, as I have been in the faith for a number of years now, I oftentimes want to see points in my life if I am falling backwards, backsliding, if I am actually maturing in my faith, or if I've just been paused from the moment that I gave my life over to Christ. I need some markers in my life, and my generosity serves as a marker for me. Generosity can be a metric that will determine the depth of my faith. You know, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, generosity stems from faith. You know where generosity stems from? From your faith. The apostle Paul wrote to a church leader named Philemon. He told him, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understood and experienced all the good things we have in Christ. You know, when we're generous, you're giving with a belief that God's going to take care of all of your needs according to his glorious riches. And if generosity is an act of faith, then that means that stinginess is an act of disbelief, doesn't it? And God has told us that when it comes to money, that we can test him. Do you remember when Jesus first started his ministry? He started out by being baptized. He didn't get baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He was sinless. He was baptized so that you and I would see that example and recognize that that's the beginning starts of faith, a beginning starts of ministry, the beginning of our walk. And what happened immediately after his baptism? He was led into the wilderness for 40 days and there Satan began to tempt him and to torment him. And that word temptation really means test. And he tested Jesus with some things. And one of the things he tested Jesus with is, Get on the top of the temple, throw yourself off, and see if God will catch you with his angels before you go splat. And every time Jesus was tempted, he gave scripture back as a way to respond to Satan. And one of the scriptures he gave to Satan that day was found in Deuteronomy 6.16. He said, don't put your Lord your God to the test. You know, that's a commandment. Don't test God. You've heard grandma say it. Don't test God. You've heard mom say it. You shouldn't test the Lord. But you know, when it comes to our money, you know what God says? He says, would you test me on this? 
As a matter of fact, in Malachi, as we've studied before, God says, test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The only area that God says that you are allowed to test him is with finances. And you know, it's not really a test for him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all that and more. He's saying, do you trust me? Your generosity measures your faith, and that's a blessing because I need practical assessments in my walk with Christ to determine if I'm growing, if I'm backsliding, if I'm paused on puberty. I I need to know where I am with the Lord and if I'm making great gains, and my generosity will help me to discover that. Here's another blessing. Generosity honors God. I think every Christian, every Christ follower in this room has a desire to honor God, and one of the ways we can do that is with our, our generosity. You know, there are thousands and thousands of blessings that are associated with generosity. I'm just trying to narrow down them within a categorical sense. But Proverbs chapter 3 tells us how we would best honor God with our wealth. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth by doing this with the first fruits of your crop. Remember setting the top portion of your budget for the Lord? That one penny out of ten, that first penny goes to him as we talked about last week. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brim over with, with that new wine. You remember what Jesus taught us in the New Testament? He taught us that we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. And what Jesus was saying is we are the preservant of this world by living godly lives and we are illuminating this world by doing good deeds. Now, Jesus had said anytime that we're the salt, the preservant, and anytime we're the light and illuminating good deeds, the world will recognize that in some form or fashion and they will ultimately praise God in heaven. And you know what happens when we're generous? Not only are we honoring God and recognizing that he's the Lord of our life, but we're allowing others to praise God for it as well. You know, anytime someone is generous towards me or my family, I'm oftentimes very thankful to them, but many times I'll look up to the heavens and say, thank you, God, for allowing them to have a spirit of generosity. And so there are two honors that happen, the one who is giving and the one who is receiving. And you know, I know that we live in a world that is awfully skeptical anytime there is a freedom of giving without anything in expectation back. We live in a world that oftentimes has to grease the palm of their giving to get something in return. And they don't know how to identify it when believers like you and me just decide to give freely. But the Bible does tell us that when we do good works and when we show good deeds and we preserve the earth and when we illuminate the darkness of this world, that eventually they're going to determine the motives of our heart and recognize that our giving was done to honor God, and they too will honor the Lord as well. And I can't think of much better blessings than to know that when I give, I'm honoring God, and when others receive, they can honor God too. Another great blessing that goes along with it is generosity moves me closer to God. I think it's pretty simple. The things I invest in, my time, my talent, and my treasure are going to be things that ultimately get my undivided attention. You know, last week, our Fall Financial Peace University class wrapped up their last course. I'm so proud of that group and groups like them that have taken that course that have decided that they can manage God's money better and budget wiser, that they can climb out of debt and honor God with their resources. I'll tell you what, anybody that takes that class and gets serious about managing every dollar that comes into their pocket is a very courageous Christian because that is totally counterculture right now. Tuesday, I was given the opportunity to voice my encouragement to them and tell them, well done. 
When I did, I gave them the story that I have told a few times to classes before them. When Kelly and I first started to invest into the stock market, we chose individual stocks, which was, uh, well, it was very disappointing, to say the least, because our heart followed each tick up and down as we watched the stock market's movement and watched our stocks go up and go down. And what we recognized about ourselves was that if we wanted to have a heart that craved the things of God, then we better, we better allow our treasure to go to Christ's causes rather than just to investments. So Kelly and I decided uh, many years ago that we would not allow a budget line on our budget be greater than the amount that we give to God. And it's our ambition that God receives the greater share, more than our mortgage company, uh, more than a mutual fund or an individual retirement account or a 401k or a hobby or an annual vacation. We, we decided that because we know the vulnerability of our heart and we know that we can be persuaded by money. We've learned that what Jesus taught is way too true, all too true. Where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. Where you're, and we want our heart to be here. We want our heart to be for the Lord. And so we've decided that's where our treasure is gonna go. And friends, what we found is when I'm generous with my money and my heart leans towards God and I get interested into the things of God rather than my own carnal concerns, generosity draws me near to God. What a great blessing. You know what another great blessing is? Generosity makes me more like Jesus and that's who I wanna be like. And if Jesus was generous, I certainly wanna be generous too. There's an old story that has made the rounds in the pulpits for decades. Can't determine if it's true or not. I, I would bet to say it has a little twist of truth to it. You can see it happening. Back in the 1930s during the Great Depression, a man was in a donut store purchasing donuts at a very early hour. And he looked through the glass all the way out to the street. And he noticed that there were some kids who had their, their noses just pushed up against the glass watching the donut maker and the fresh donuts coming out of the grease and that man purchased those donuts, put them in a bag, and as he walked out and noticing those boys, he just handed them the bag of fresh, hot donuts. And friends, you know there's nothing closer to heaven than fresh, hot donuts. And as he handed those to those boys, he walked away, and a few steps later, he felt a tug on his coat, and the little boy had said, hey, mister, are you God? And, you know, you, you look the most like Jesus when you're generous. Uh, Hebrews, or rather Galatians, says Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, Jesus gave, but I want you to notice that he just didn't give and say, well, I'll just give what I have on hand. He planned his giving. Around here, we call that intentional giving. He was wise about it. We would say that we prayed over our giving and settled an amount with our Lord, and then we gave off of that. Let me give you a final way in which God has blessed our lives. Generosity, at least our generosity, will be rewarded in heaven. Everything I spend here on earth, I'm losing. Everything I spend here on earth, I'm losing. Think about that. Everything I try to build up here physically on earth is going to be gone. Everything I invest into others, I'm gaining. Timothy, who was a young preacher, the Apostle Paul had asked him to command the congregation that he led to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. He says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That coming age is eternal life when Christ returns, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly, 
truly like. So he challenged his congregation to do their banking in heaven. Invest in people so that one day those people will be with you in heaven, Timothy. Okay, we know this scripture, and we've said it sometimes in an absolute wrong way, but the scripture is, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. Some of us have turned it the other way and said that, that to have money is evil, but that's not what it says. It says to love money is the root of evil. Someone had said the reason why is because sadly, many love money and use people. But as Christians, we're commanded to love people and to use money. Money is a tool. And when we're generous, we recognize that. And we recognize when we're generous, we get to be more like Jesus. But also our generosity will one day be rewarded in heaven with the hopes that our giving is leading to others' salvation. And there may be people welcoming you up on the streets of heaven saying, thank you for giving financially to the kingdom. You know what Jesus told his followers? He told them to think with an eternal mindset rather than a temporal one when it came to money. He said, don't hoard treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it is safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it, Jesus said? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And you know, when you're generous, it leads to all these great blessings. Do your banking in heaven because there are blessings that come from those floodgates that open up when we give. And I'm telling you, there's more, there's more blessings than, than just being happy. There's more blessings than just drawing closer to God. There's more blessings than, than investing in your future. The blessings go on and on and on when you give to the Lord. So here's what we're challenging each other to do. This week, we're asking that you pray and settle on amount with God as to how you'd like to be generous. That you work this out with the Lord. Because next week, we're going to have Rajesh Paul here, and we're going to give our annual lump sum gift to that mission next Sunday. We're going to have a special offering that you can either designate a check to or in those envelopes that are in front of you in the chairs that say immeasurably more I am. Um, you can put that in there and designate cash to that mission. We're going to collect that because we recognize that the blessings go far beyond us. And when we're blessed, we're blessed to be a blessing to others. But may I just stop there for a moment and say, to have your heart and your wallet prepared for next Sunday? Because God tells us that the rewards that we have on this earth go further than just our generosity. God says he will generously reward those who seek him out. Hebrews chapter 11 says it like this, without faith, no one can please God. Like you have to have faith. And remember a few weeks ago, we talked about faith, that faith is actual steps. They're action steps. I've got to make a movement. It's different than belief. Faith is belief in action. And anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real and that he rewards those who truly want to find him. He rewards them. Well, you're saying, what are those rewards? Let me tell you about the first place of generosity and the first blessing that comes. When you give your life to Christ, which is the very first gift you should ever give to the Lord, God says, I'll bless you there. Well, how are those blessings coming? Well, they come by the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to worry about your sins or agonize over them anymore. God receives you and accepts you, even though maybe those in your world don't. God does. You've been a restored child of the King. You don't have to worry about if you have a home in heaven, you have a place in heaven with our Lord. 
because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything you've done. You've given yourself to him. God says, I'm gonna bless you with a home in heaven. You step out on faith and you'll discover that your sins will be forgiven, that you have a loving, eternal God that welcomes you to a home. And the greatest reward to receiving Jesus Christ is you have a relationship with him that will last for all of eternity. Some of you don't have that today. I want us to all stand here, kind of a smoke screen of sorts as we close out this service. Stand with me if you would. And myself and Evan, we're just going to be over here by the baptistry. And if you want something to pray about, you want to make a decision for Christ, uh, there's a room right behind um, this stage area that we'd love to take you to, talk to you more about Jesus. And Maybe you want to come and pray at these steps. Maybe you're someone that's just bringing conclusions to your heart. I want you to fill out that communication card. Maybe you have questions about baptism. Maybe you want to know further what it means. And someone will get a hold of you tomorrow morning and talk to you about the commitments you're making. But whatever it is, we're asking right now, today, that you make that step that God's calling you to make.